Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a special episode of Team Human, recorded live at the Caveat Lounge in New York City on October 28, 2023, with occult scholar and writer Mitch Horowitz and music by Stephen Brent. Thanks everyone who came out to the Caveat Lounge or watched on their live stream. And special thanks to our friends at Digital Void for hosting the event. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, coming to you alive from the East Village's favorite cautionary detail, Caveat Lounge. And like the caveat, we are here to emphasize and celebrate exceptions to the rule, suspensions of traditional logic, and modifying factors that change rigid definitions into life-affirming questions. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, occult historian, author, practitioner, and hopefully educator, my friend, Mitch Horowitz. Tonight, whoa, hello, tonight is the night we launch the sigil that flips the script on civilization itself, restores the true indigeneity of human beings on planet Earth, ends the threat of climate change, exposes the false promise of capitalism, and brings full tantric bliss on demand to anyone who even considers opening their heart to the awe-inspiring reality we are creating together. Leave your ego at the door, and let's get ready to crumble! It's time to intervene on behalf of people and all living things. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. Well, good evening and welcome to Team Human's first celebration of All Hallows' Eve, sponsored by our teammates at Digital Void. They've got a blank space for us, baby, and we've got a name. We are in a space tonight, though, a different space, 
You unlock its door with the key of imagination. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. And to help create this space, this new dimension of sight and sound and mind, I've invited my bestie from Hastings on Hudson, New York, musician Stephen Brent. He will bathe us in a soundscape that engenders the spirit of psychic adventure required for the task ahead. So please relax into an innervated openness, an active resonance, a place of possibility, safe to entertain the most dangerous of thoughts and feelings. You have found the others. And tonight, my other takes the form of occult historian Mitch Horowitz, the thinking man's mage who matches his enthusiasm for the weird with the rigor of the historical record. A project of two parts art to one part archaeology, Mitch is not just walking the walk, but dancing the dance of the magical worldview, challenging his own reality tunnels as much or more than he explodes his readers, a daring proponent of positive thinking and tireless chronicler of our shared occult histories. We're here to celebrate the publication of his new book, Modern Occultism, History, Theory, and Practice. No occult in this context has nothing to do with blood in your stool, but everything to do with the fertile living soil beneath the illusion of materialism. Mitch Horowitz is a historian of alternative spirituality and one of today's most literate voices of esoterica, mysticism, and the occult. He illuminates outsider theory, explains its relevance to contemporary life, and reveals the long-standing quest to bring empowerment and agency to the human condition. Horowitz is a writer-in-residence at the New York Public Library and the Penn Award-winning author of books including Occult America, One Simple Idea, The Miracle Club, Daydream Believer, my favorite, Uncertain, uh, maybe Uncertain Places, my favorite, and Modern Occultism, my new favorite. Please give a warm team human welcome to our first offensive coordinator, Mitch Horowitz. Thank you, my man. Thank you. I like the uh, blood in the stool comment. That got screams in the green room. <laughs> there might be a generational issue there. When you're over 50, you'll know what Doug means. So. Well, you do these things, but if you're old and you have kids or whatever, and you're worried, they do something called an occult stool, an occult fecal test, occult stool, where yeah. they're looking to see if there's like, you know, blood in your kid's poop. But it, it looks really cool when you get the form, an occult fecal test. It's like, that's my <laughs> band. That's great. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So I set a, a, a high bar tonight. Yeah. In terms of, you know, transforming the whole human experience and flipping civilization and any climate change and stopping war and all those things. No problem. No yeah, problem. We're all good. And <laughs> well, I don't know if we'll walk out in that condition. I'm really just asking that we somehow tonight, we kind of just pivot civilization. So even if we don't quite feel it yet, we begin. the pro And then it's just inevitable, all the good stuff. Okay? So it's less... It's the first domino. Yeah, I, I the like first it. domino. Okay, great. We'll, we'll do that. So I guess what what the 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 prerequisite to that, the the precursor to that is logically, I'm finding it really hard to imagine my way, our way through the next 
decades, much less century, between climate and capitalism and geopolitical everything. It just seems um, like like we're kind of past the point of no return and I should just do palliative care on <laughs> humanity, which isn't a terrible thing, right? right. You know, right. but play, play in the band on the deck of the Titanic as it's going down. That's holy. That's sacred, right? But what I started to think was, well, if there's no um, like Monsanto nano way through, then maybe magic is our last best hope. Yes. Is it? Is magic our last best hope? Um, well, certainly, I'm going to, I'll give you my viewpoint on magic and, and you yeah. and, and the attendees can determine whether it meets that criteria <laughs> of being our last best hope. <clears throat> One of the things that I've been really interested in over the past several years, and I think we've talked about this on the pod before, is this question of whether the individual can have a warranted, finely grounded, defensible belief in the extra physical capacities of the psyche. And I believe that that is true. I think we have enough, we as a human community have enough evidence, not only from centuries or millennia of testimony and human experience, which I value enormously as a record, but also through the, the, the hard sciences, the psychical sciences, including sciences that are not controversial at all, like neuroplasticity, to demonstrate that what we call a thought, which is something that our civilization has never even defined, even as we barrel towards something called artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. what we call a thought is capable of shaping and affecting the matter that gives rise to it. And that is an absolutely defensible statement, which I won't belabor here, but I've, I've written whole books on that topic. And once that individual has the warranted belief the finely grounded belief that the mind has extra physical capacities. My question about magic, which is a way in which you, you harness this extra physical belief. My question is whether we are capable, we as a generation as, and as individuals are capable of doing away with spells, ritual, liturgy, symbol, and just understanding that thought itself may be a selective or causative agency, among many other laws and forces. Not this notion that we exist under one mental super law. I think life is infinitely messier than that. We exist under a complexity of laws and forces. But mind actually has thought, intellect, psyche, which I would say is a compact of emotion and intellect, has the capacity to change things concretely in the individual's experience. And I'm wondering if the sometimes the very thick, dense ceremonial qualities that accompany magic, like things that you'll find in Aleister Crowley, who I honor, is that necessary? Right. Is it necessary? And if we can experiment with that, we may come to something extraordinary. Right. So let's, let's sort of break it down into two ways of thinking about magic for now. So the, the easiest, simple, least supernaturally challenging way to think about it is kind of more like 1980s mind shift stuff like um, Est, right? I'm going to, you know, um, change my experience of life so that the things I've been putting up with or trying to change fall away in the process of life itself. Est, landmark. Um, and, and 
because so many people experienced, oh, you mean if we just change the way we, you know, we think of capitalism as necessary, but if we could just, like I've been trying to tell people, borrow a drill, you know, borrow a drill, you know, start sharing, you know, put the social back in socialism, you know, that capitalism would fade away because we don't see it. If we didn't see it that way, we wouldn't. So there were things like, um, what was her name? Lynn Twist did something called the Hunger Project, which came off EST. And it was like, oh, rather than doing EST for personal use, we could use EST and we were going to imagine there, there's an abundance of food and the, thus there would be. So from that place, that sort of Hunger Project and, and mind shift, um, isn't, isn't that almost a simple way? Can't we just help people somehow, not get people to believe something, but couldn't a global mind shift happen as like, like, like that and just change? Couldn't people just turn nice all of it? Couldn't we have a, a, a global sort of universal or at least a tipping point realization? And it's like, oh, we're going about this wrong. And then that would solve 90% of our crises. No, can, can that happen? And is, isn't that a kind of magic? It is a kind of magic, and I'm interested in that question. I feel all the same social urgencies that you feel. I do realize that in the life of an individual, that that flip experience is absolutely possible. I've experienced right. it myself. I'm sure some of you in this room have. Um, William James referred to it as a conversion experience, right. coming into a, a belief or an insight. You might call it an epiphany. Um, if you're uh, come from the Christian tradition, you might call it a born again experience. Right. If you come from mine, you'd call it like a global duh. Yeah, global duh. Right. And and you come into this sudden, shocking realization that just stops all the associative thinking that's going on inside you. Now, I know that that can happen in the life of an individual, having experienced it personally, realizing, for example, that it's completely superfluous to put up with relationships in your life, for example, that completely drain you and detract from your experience. There will be consequences that will come from jettisoning those relationships. But what a terrible human tragedy it is not to realize the absolute truth of that statement. Can we as a human civilization do that? I don't know. I have very, I, I must say this bluntly, I have very, very little faith in human nature en masse. Uh, it's part of the reason, frankly, why I maintain very few relationships, very few friendships. I have my partner, Jacqueline, who's here. I have one friend, Liam O'Malley, who's next to her. And then I have my kids. And, you know, I, I mean, I'd like to think we're friends. Mm -hmm. I have professional relationships. But I, I find most people horrible. And... Um, <laughs> family members, workmates, so-called friends who humiliate and insult you. They're horrible. So my faith in human nature is very low, even though my faith in the individual is high. Right, right. And then, I mean, uh, partly as a result of that, it feels like uh, a lot of these practices and positive thinking itself got caught up uh, in individualism, you know, because you could practice alone you get you you train your mind you do your practice and then you use positive thinking to influence people and you experience your yourself you know a lot of Crowley's work was so it's self you know know that you know true my true will well my true will, I don't give a shit about my true will anymore right I'm I, I'm maybe that's good maybe that's bad but but I, I feel like 
there's, 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 I mean, partly, and you write about this a lot, that, that positive thinking ended up, because it was practiced in such an individual way, it ended up getting caught up in capitalism and acquisition, you know, and in some ways, um, it, it needs to be kind of retrieved from that, doesn't it? I wrestle with that, you know, to be frank, and I, I welcome pushback on this, but my, um, I, I, I judge myself and insofar as I have a right to, I judge others by the quality and tenor of their relationships. Hmm. And if I look at an individual on whom many different labels could be pinned, like he or she is selfish or acquisitive or capitalistic or whatever, I ask myself, how many lives is that person feeding? How many um, experiences is that person facilitating, helping people travel, uh, educating people, uh, providing an atmosphere that enriches the lives of other people? And I feel that there's a point past which I, I, I don't know, Douglas, I think that uh, relationships are life. Relationships are life. So it's a moving target, what is and what isn't capitalistic or acquisitive. I mean, I remember, and I think I've written about this, um, years ago, I was in the nation of Belize, and I was at some eco resort up in the hills, and everybody was like, you know, dreadlocks and, you know, the Almond Brothers and playing hacky sack. But it was really, really very expensive place. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the, the casualness belied how fucking costly it was. And then we left. And we went to some other much more standard beach resort where it was golf carts and and Volvos and guys in polo shirts. And I was going to throw up because I thought, oh, fuck, you know, now I'm hanging out with the bouge crowd and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, no, fuck me. Fuck me for thinking that. Because how is that guy in the polo shirt in the golf cart with the two kids leading any less of an authentic existence than, you know, my rich hippie friend back up in the eco resort. And I started to think, you know, these are the cultural markers that I hang on people. And I'm not sure I'm right about any of it. And it, it totally changed my experience. Right. But the, the practices themselves. So there's the individual practice you can do. You can meditate. I mean, in the, in the, 80s. I remember they had us meditating for the whales. Remember that? I wasn't invited to that. Oh, no, it was like a global thing or a national thing. We were all like supposed to meditate because the whale and it was like change something or. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, it doesn't seem like this, that that's 
the that the way we would induce a global mind shift if we thought one was possible would be like through the kind of Maharishi kind of like, let's get everyone to all do this thing, you know, or when Art Bell, I remember on Art Bell, we're listening to Art Bell when Terrence McKenna was dying of cancer and we tried to do a healing for Terrence over the thing. And I was like, oh, this is going to work because there's millions of people, isn't Art? I mean, it didn't, but, um, or it did in some other way that still led to his death. But that's not the, there's a, there's a, a, process I'm groping towards some, that, that something that expands beyond doing magic for me to get something or figure out my tarot reading and then have a better relationship or you know I've got this much time left on the planet I kind of want to spend what magic I can on the team you know of, of, of living things you know to do my job as an earthling I, I recognize that I, I have to be frank with you. My search is more intensely private, and I I do care. First of all, first and foremost, socially, I care about protection of the individual search for meaning. Because I think without the individual search for meaning, which is self-expression writ large in all kinds of ways, nothing is possible. Absolutely nothing is possible. So when I look at a, a setting and a society that violates the individual search for meaning – that's where my social juices get flowing. Mm. And I have to be frank with you. Um, my search uh, has been a, a very a private search and a very self-directed search. And when I am doing the tower reading or the sigil or the spell or the directed thoughts, I'd be lying, you know, mm. if I if I sat here and misled people to think that I'm doing it for the whales or for world peace or what have you. I am doing it for things that Im- impact my direct experience very personally. And then I'm willing to let those ch- karmic chips fall wherever they right. will. But you're not doing it for gold. <laughs> I mean, if I had a financial need and right. I was looking down the barrel of, oh, shit, I really have to Gotta solve this problem. Yeah. I need $50,000 or something. I have and would do it for that. And I encourage an unembarrassed disclosure of that because I, I, I look, I'll put it to you this way. There was one weekend many, many, many years ago. I couldn't do this anymore mm. where I went on social media and I offered all my followers uh, free tarot readings. And this occupied three days of my time, probably ended my marriage. Um, but uh, and um, and yet it 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 was meaningful to me because although I can't put forth that kind of effort all the time, I had a particular reason for doing it, and I did it. And I saw that ninety percent of people wanted to know about romance, money, career. And then there was a smaller amount who wanted to know about health and a smaller amount still wanted to know about their spiritual search. And people would sometimes voice embarrassment in asking me a personal question. And I, I would always try to strip away that embarrassment and say, this is, this is mm. the human situation. This is the human situation. I mean, romance, intimacy, commerce, um, self-expression. I mean, I, I, I group these things under self-expression, but I don't want to limit what self-expression means in the life of the individual. And I, I, I feel that I'm built that way and I don't yeah. want to build artificial parameters around no, it. No, that's fair enough. But you know, it's funny. I was just reading, um, Tyson Yunkaporta, the, um, indigenous Australian is, is, is publishing a new book soon. And I was reading it and he's talking about lore and how lore is a collective phenomenon for him. Lore is always in relationship. Lore is is not is never his. 
And in some ways, when he wants to own it enough to be able to write it down, it loses its juju. You know, it gets abstracted. You know, and I, I'm wondering, you know, if if lore is networked and and collective, then it it it, def- it in some ways it defies our our individual uh, uh, machinations. But and and I'll tell you, for me, my my experience, although I've got vastly less. Um, uh, intentional occult practice than you do the uh, with the most of the occult practice I've done or with the meditation I've been trying to meditate Stephen um, um, he's been telling me just sit just sit it's the best thing you can do and when I meditate he's when, sitting see yeah, <laughs> when I when I actually go there what seems like there and touch whatever it is that is my soul my soul doesn't feel like mine it feels like I'm touching those universal soul juice that when if I go as deep down, it's not elephants all the way down. It's not me all the way down. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. And yet I'm going to provide a counter to Please. it. And I welcome yeah. you to push back. I really do. Because I just want to be super frank. Yeah. Um, many years ago, I was in a parking lot somewhere and I was having a conversation with a woman reputed to be a psychic. And I personally did feel, although I had some problems with this person individually, I did feel she had an authentic psychic gift. I thought there was something real there. And we were talking about something or other, some mundane topic. And she stopped talking to me and she said, you know what you want? You want power. <laughs> and I, I, I thought, okay, lady, you know, you're projecting onto me this, that. And I, I, I spent several years pushing that away, pushing that away. But I have to be frank with you. I, I came to realize as time passed that that she was correct. I don't mean that in some brutal way where I want to force people around and tell people what to do. I don't want to do that. But the power to see through one's sense of agency in the world, the power to express and project oneself in the world, I, I'm not going to make the gambit that my point of view or the point of view you were just mm. describing is the truth. But that's what I experience, and I knew she was right. And the very fact that the person telling me this was a person who I ethically had problems with made me push it away for a long time. But I came to feel it was true. And that that has defined my magical practice for many years. Hopefully, so has generativity. Uh, so has reciprocity, which I believe very, very strongly in. I, we're not... We're not islands. There is this interconnectedness, as you were describing. And I absolutely believe that not one grain of sand can be displaced without there being some reciprocal action. So be careful. Be careful. But I came to feel that that search for power was authentic for me. Well, and certainly if if individuality is an illusion, which I kind of think it is, but if it is an illusion, it's pretty damn good. I mean, it's risses. This is, look, I mean, do you, have you ever just like turn your head really fast? It renders back there like right away, right? It's like there's no lag time. It's like they're doing such a good job that we might as well accept it on face value, right? I mean, we'll find out once we die anyway that it was all, but but come on. I mean, enjoy the show. Give in. Surrender to this illusion. It's like fucking good show, right? It, it, it could be real in the sense that I don't know if a dog thinks about dog kind, right. but thinks about, you know, where's my water dish? Where's my meal? And, and, and a dog is a beautiful being, you know, with actual authenticity. And that's, that's a dog's existence, best I can tell. Uh, that may be mine. Right. So then, so, so, uh, uh, 
if that's if that's kind of and it's fine where we got where we got is it that's more the the sort of Estian worldview reality tunnel and can I change my reality tunnel and then or can I help other people change their reality tunnel can we change our collective reality tunnel then there's the other kind of magic that you're talking about which is actually changing the tunnel right so the actually magic as changing matter as altering or at least discovering new laws of physics, you know, the sort of the more um, Rupert Sheldrake, David Bohm, uh, uh, Roger Penrose, you know, fractal flipping high leverage point yeah. stuff. Um, so how do we how do we play with that in a in a fun and positive way? I, I, I groove to that. And I I very much respond to all that. I mean, that all that resonates with me very, very deeply. It's part of why I'm so interested in psychical research, paranormal research into ESP and so forth. And some people have criticized me and it's just criticism that I'm very attached to uh, lab research, proving ESP, proving precognition. And it's a... Oh, it's reassuring. It's very reassuring, you I, know, to have that other than what you've seen and experienced. I get yeah. I get fascinated with yeah. it because despite what the professional skeptics community may say, uh, it's absolutely bulletproof. It's incontrovertible. Yeah. It's replicable. It's there. It's there. And I've been criticized for this. Jeffrey Kripal said to me, you need to spend less time in the German wood and you need to spend less time in the German lab and more time in the Irish woods. Uh. So, you know, I'm sort of like, I groove to the German <laughs> lab, you know, yeah. and, and I, I, and yet there's magic there. There's so magic. You like LSD there. better than mushrooms. I, 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 I take these, um, like <laughs> psychopharmacological drugs that blocks the effects of some of those things. So, uh. you know, it like Jacqueline could tell you, I eat like a whole bag of mushrooms and it's just like a, you know, bag of fucking Lay's chips. Right. Um, but, or, you know, so I think, I mean, maybe, yeah. you know, I'm walking around like in an illusion. Um, but in any case, or in reality, I'm, yeah. is it reality? I'm really into this question of reality selection. And I, I have this exercise that I explore in the book Daydream Believer, and it's as simple as it gets. If, as I was saying earlier, one has a warranted belief in the extra physical capacity of the mind, I don't use terms like manifest or law of attraction, which I have a big allergy to, because I think they're very poorly defined. And I don't believe them. I don't believe that we live under one mental super law. We experience Since the time of Abraham. Comp, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the burning bush. Uh, we live under we experience, I'll say, a complexity of laws and forces. And, and any of us will experience that tonight. You stub your toe, you're going to feel pain. Um, there's almost no exception to that. And, and yet, and yet, that's not all there is, just as the horizon line is not all there is to the planet Earth. And I am very interested in the question of simplicity, stripping away, stripping away, stripping away. So here's my challenge. And I, I offer this to everyone in this room. I offer it to you. Rather than going to one of the positive mind books or going into, okay, you know, I'm going to paint a pentagram on the floor and, you know, uh, contact Azazel and so forth, which I think is, 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 is a good idea. But rather than all that, that dense stuff, dig this, dig this. Is the wish, is the wish enough? A clearly defined, passionately felt absolutely no holds barred, privately felt, unembarrassed wish. Can that change reality? I I think that's a gamble well, well, well worth taking and experimenting with. And it does. I'll tell you. You want to hear a weird story? Yes. As long as we're here, we have time. We're amongst friends. So uh, 
my wife and I, we tried to have a baby for like two or three years and did all these things that they do now with shots and all that stuff until the doctor finally said, you're fucked, basically. Um, it's not going to work. Your eggs are bad. You're too old. It's all bad. Go to the adoption place. Here's two flyers. Get one places. of those Oculus right. tests. He yeah. was just like, you're done. I'm done with you. Um, he, we were bad for his stats, I guess. So we go to get the, we go to this place, Gladney, and we're going to adopt a baby from like Honduras or somewhere. And we've got to fill out all these forms and you got to have life insurance before they'll let your application. So we apply for life insurance and to get the life insurance, they got to do a blood test. So this guy, they come to you to do blood tests now, or I guess maybe this is an old thing. Um, so they came, the guy comes to the apartment and he's totally Muslim guy, right? With the yarmulke and everything that they wear, the whole thing. And He's about to take the blood and he's like, um, so why am I taking your blood? What, why, are you, why are you getting life insurance? And I said, oh, well, you know, we're going to adopt a baby. He goes, why are you adopting a baby? I said, you know, my wife, we, we can't get pregnant. And he goes, oh, stop. And he sits, he says, sit with me. And he says this whole like Arabic prayer thing. And, and then at the end of it, he goes, now say God is great. And I go, God is great. He goes again, God is great. I said it again, God is great. And he goes, okay, now you're, you're, it's all fine. I'm like, what? He goes, you was going to have a baby. And I said, I'm a Jewish. It's like, that's not even because God is great. God doesn't care. It's all done. Don't you worry about it. You're going to have a baby. It's like a couple of months. Your wife's going to tell you she's pregnant. Three months later, my wife's pregnant. Right. We call the doctor and he goes, that's not possible. That's not possible. And then of all things, the doctor says, um, I feel so bad. He says, well, it's not going to it's not going to take. Can you imagine? He says, it's not going to take. Um, <laughs> meaning like it's going to be blighted over and whatever. And it took, she had a, she had a fucking baby and I've never found the guy again. And first I thought for like five years, this was an angel. You know, the way that you touched by an angel, they wear white and they stop at the side of the road or whatever. They fix your flat tire. Those ones. Um, I thought it was that. And now I'm thinking, no, it was just, he, he, solidified the he 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 concretized the wish yes and i i and he knew it at that moment he's like it's done it's done you don't need this and it's you know what i mean he was certain it was he, it was already done you don't have to do anything you don't have to tell your wife you don't have to do anything it's done go live your life i think that's extraordinary and i think there's there's some important things to unpack there first let's start with the doctor telling you it's impossible or it's not going to keep thanks for the encouragement <laughs> but the the I'll, I'll put it to you this way there are a lot of things that are impossible but for the fact that they actually occur um i was once doing one of these cable shows it might have been ancient aliens and uh they were doing a story. I don't know how this figured into the ancient alien thesis. They were doing a story about a park ranger who's been struck by lightning seven times. And one of the producers, I think she sort of got her feelings hurt because she called up a physician who specializes in like emergency trauma and said, is there any reason why a man would be struck by lightning seven times? Is there some physical factor? And the, the doc was very dismissive and very condescending. And I thought that exact same doc that exact same doc, if you called that person and said, hey, let me give you a scenario. What if somebody was struck by lightning, oh, I don't know, seven times? They'd be like, no, that's not possible. And it's not because the odds are 10 to the 28th power, a number for which we actually have a name, but it escapes yeah. me. And it's so vast, you know, it would fill up your entire projection screen if we wrote it out. And, and, but it happened. And there's a tendency to look at these extraordinary things and say, it's nothing but this. It's nothing but that. Now, wait a minute. 
We have a belief system in the West. I call it the magic bullet belief system that there's just one thing going on. Who says there's just one thing going on? It's like the blind men describing an elephant. Your doctor grabs the tail and he says, aha, it's a snake. And he can defend that, but he's wrong. Or somebody else grabs the leg of the elephant and says, it's a tree. They can defend that as a tactile experience but they're wrong. They might have valuable data to bring to the table because they are experiencing something. And there is this snake-like thing that the elephant has called a tail, but there could be a dozen different things going on of which call it what you will. Causative thinking, will, selective thinking, true will, magic, prayer is one of those things. And maybe the pregnancy is what that appeal looks like in the body. Now, I presume you and your wife were making love, she got pregnant. It'd be all the more extraordinary if, you know, she wasn't, but there might be certain things that you need to do to facilitate that. So there are biologic needs. Of course, you're still getting up in the morning, you're going about your life. But what I'm trying to say is that we are so quick to quick to close the door on possibility in our Western world because we've pinpointed one thing that's going on, whereas there may be numerous complex things that are going on of which magic is one. So I take that story very seriously. Right. So then, assuming then I'm a believer now that I've seen it happen in my own life, you know, um, I'm also a believer, thanks to your writing, in uh, retrocausality, um, which maybe you'd need to explain as a concept. But what I'm interested in, retrocausality being the fact that that the, the future influences the present. You study for a test. After you've taken the test, you do better on the test. Why? Who knows? The future echoing back. I mean, I felt the the thing that we're going through now, I was a month or two ago. I'm like, I'm feeling really depressed. And I actually, I think I said it to you, Stephen. I was like, I feel so bad right now that I feel like I am mourning for something that hasn't yet happened. I feel like the future tragedy is rippling back into me. I mean, I was crying over it before this happened. So assuming retrocausality is real, have you thought about and again, I'm just trying to save the world here. Um, how can we, how maybe might we be able to exploit or leverage retrocausality to uh, just fix this place up? I, I love that question because it's a very concrete thing. A quick, quick primer on retrocausality. Um, there, and I've been writing about this for a while, about a little over a decade ago, there's a clinical psychologist named Daryl Bem at Cornell University who had actually dedicated 10 years of his life to studying precognition and retrocausality. And in short, in short, one of his, two of his series of experiments, of which there were nine, involved subjects memorizing a word list and then recalling their memorization. He found, in brief, that scores spiked, scores spiked if you kept studying the list in the future. Hence, he detected statistically a retrocausal effect. And as I never tire of pointing out to our disgusting friends in the professional skeptics community, um, and you'll see if you come across Daryl Bem's name, his name was recently smeared in the New York Times about two weeks ago. You will be told his data sample was too small and his experiments were non-replicable. That is false, false, false. Over a course of 10 years, his results were proved confirmatory in a meta-analysis consisting of 90 experiments, including the original trials, in 33 different labs in 14 different nations. 90 experiments, 33 different labs, 14 different nations. 
If you go on Wikipedia tonight, you will see him called a purveyor of pseudoscience and you will see footnoted references, most, mostly to authors who come from a place called Prometheus House, which is a skeptics publishing house in Buffalo, New York. Skept, professional skeptical authors telling you that these experiments are bogus, non-replicable, proven false. You're not being handed the truth. Now, the question is, what do we do with it? He demonstrated co a cognitive spike. Those were his experiments. So if he were here with us on stage tonight, he would probably say, look, I can't go beyond my data. I stand by it. But it, it showed an increase in cognition. But if it shows an improvement in cognition, well, if a law is a law, it should be universal, even if it's conditioned. And so your question is extremely well taken. If this retro causality stuff is true, if it's worthy of experiment, what can we do with it? It suggests great power. It suggests that that the nonlinearity of time gives us an opportunity to remedy things. It's very powerful. Right. So go use it, everybody. Yeah, but yeah, but but again, on mass, it's a little tricky. But if it's true, then we should be able, I mean, we should be, there's some Bill and Ted thing we can do for humanity and the planet and the climate and everything, right? I, I, right. And that would have to be structured. You know, that would have to be structured. So you know, let's do this. Let's, let's work do this. On it. Let's get we the, need get ideas. My, you know, find the others, as you said. My dad's got a barn. My yeah. mom can sew the curtains. Right, right, right. Um, we, you know, Ben <laughs> sat down and he said to himself, all right, look, I'm doing these nine experiments. I want to structure these things as simply as possible so that the spike is self-evident and it, it can't be reasonably argued with. So he succeeded. And then his stuff was rendered confirmatory. How would we structure this sort of social experiment? It's all about the structure. So right. we need people to help with this. I, I don't have it right now. I can I can advise a kickboxer how to win a fight, but I can't, you know, do what you're describing. And and I'm very intrigued by it. So you say you're one of your principles is find the others, find the others. So this can be a team human call that we as a human community have to figure out how to structure this successfully. Right. I mean, and you end up with retro causality. You do end up with a kind of positive version of the Frank Baum. You had it in you. You, yes. you had it in you. Right. And it's it's not too late. It's not right. too late. That's the extraordinary message. You know, um, one of you, we, we, we both have we both have enemies among uh, Jeffrey Epstein's friends. Uh, <laughs> yours is um, what's his name? Dawkins. Yeah. Mine is Pinker. And. Uh. Uh, Pinker. Uh, Let's challenge them to a cage match. Exactly. <laughs> I, and we'll win because we'll use retro causality. Exactly. Rushkoff kicked his ass. And so, so Pinker, um, in his inimical way, said, uh, you know, as Horowitz actually saying that if you study for a test after the test, your, your score will improve. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm not <laughs> saying that your score is going to magically change from B to B plus while it's sitting on your desktop. But the fact is, we have statistical evidence that is highly suggestive that your cognitive performance will improve. So what is it that we as a human species can do, whether it involve conflict settlement or environmental stewardship or whatever seems urgent to the group of people, because passion is necessary. The one thing 
one of the great psychical researchers in history is J.B. Ryan, and uh, he started the first parapsychology lab at Duke in the early 1930s. And J.B. was very conservative about his data. He was very, very sober about not extrapolating from the data anything that wasn't strictly there. And he would once in a while let slip an insight. One of the insights that he let slip is that, and he wrote about this in the afterward to a British version of one of his monographs, he said, the one key factor I've noticed is present whenever we get results in the lab is hopeful expectancy. Hopeful expectancy. Mm. And that's exactly the triggering um, factor in placebo research, right. which really didn't take flight until after the Second World War. So even years before that, JB was identifying hopeful expectancy. You have to have skin in the game. There has to be passion. It can't be faked. So if the individual cares, for example, about global warming, whoever is doing this has to really, really care. Passion is an indelible factor. Right. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's like it's like a different way of understanding follow through, like the follow through of a golf swing or a tennis swing. And, you know, if you have the right follow through, it changes the swing. But it's as if, oh, it's not that the follow through has changed this. It's that the follow through, it 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 signifies a commitment to the thing. It is follow through. You actually mean it. And follow through can be added after the fact. Yes. <laughs> yes. Know, that's the beauty. I, I had an experience once where oh, it was during the lockdown. I was giving a talk to a group of metaphysical ministers at a conference in the Midwest and it was over Zoom. And it was a rainy day. I wasn't in a great mood and I felt frankly that I had done a mediocre job. And I went afterward and I tried to visualize and tried to picture after the fact, after the fact, doing a great job. Neville Goddard, the mystic, called it, he used a biblical term, the pruning shears of revision, not really my language. But he would talk about how reimagining an event thereafter can, in effect, just as Ben was saying on a different scale, reach back in time. Anyway, I felt persuaded that I didn't do a good job. And I'm a pretty decent assessor of, of my own performance, as I'm sure you are, having done this for a while. You know you have your good days, your off days. And literally, I went back to watch the talk. I can only report what happened. Not only did it seem to be a, a better talk than I first was cognizant of giving, but I, I and I put a picture of this in, I think it's in Daydream Believer, just so people know I wasn't bullshitting them. Um, Days later, there was this package of flowers outside my door, which I kept ignoring because I thought no one sends me flowers. Mm -hmm. They're for the uh, women who live upstairs. And um, and then eventually uh, I broke down, you know, and looked at it and I saw my name was on it. And it was a beautiful, beautiful note and flowers from the organizer thanking me in the most uh, endearing and, and beautiful tones for the lovely talk. And a, a series of other things happened. And I can only say it was a really weird experience. One could say it's just emotional and it may well be, but I'm just not prepared to close the books right. on that just to speak personally. Well, the, the other way to play with retro causality is from the present to the past rather than the future to the present. So with retro causality, it feels like what we can do is reinvent history, recontextualize history. The same way you do, you know, when you look back at your childhood and you realize, oh, look at that kid. He wasn't so bad. He was actually just trying to do this. And the whole narrative of what you were changes yeah. so that then the past, instead of being this weight, you realize, oh, no, the past was the fuel to this moment that, you know, so so retro, retro causally reinterpreting the past through yes. a current condition can then change everything. No, 
that that that's the prospect. That's the prospect. G.I. Gurdjieff had an, uh, 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 expressed this. He said the the past controls the future, but the present controls the past. And it's a lot like what you just said. It's a lot like what you just said. And I think it can be very helpful to us to free ourselves from these conditioned, imagined tendrils of linearity, that time is just an arrow and goes in one direction. It feels that way overwhelmingly, just as the world overwhelmingly feels flat, but we know that that's not the case. And this concept that time is linear is so overwhelmingly persuasive. By dint of familiarity, it seems just, just inviolable, but it's not real. It's conditioned. And if we can think about that and what that means and what opportunities that might afford us as independent beings, it's extraordinary. But it's interesting. In the, in the digital techno world right now, the way of retrieving the past is, through, is with AI. Right. And it's a very particular kind of past. Right. It's a past reverted to the mean. What's the most probable thing given the probability, which is in the Dawkins Pinker realm, not the possibility realm that we're playing with. So you end up diminishing possibilities to the most static. And in some ways, then it feels as if uh, the, the, the development and deployment of A.I. is a kind of conjuring of a demon of the demon of the demon of probability, the mm -hmm. demon of, you know, that doctor who says, well, no, it says what you, this, this is your, this is the car that the hand you've been dealt. Even probability is so mysterious right. because uh, for example, if I start talking quantum physics and start talking wave states, there might be a physicist or a mathematician who says, look, Horowitz, you know, you talk about this wave state stuff as if it's this magical mystery tour. It's just a probability for what's going to happen. And they're right. They're right. Again, they've grabbed a hold of the tail and said it's a snake. And that observation is correct. It's incomplete. But the fact that it's a probability is fucking mind-blowing. If you take two double slits and direct particles at them through whatever means, let's say photons of light, why? Why should that wave state that they're in actually give you a probability? And if it was wider or different, it would be a totally different probability. It works, but we don't know why it works. Like gravity, like electricity. Well, probability works, that's fun but probability, we can't always say though. why. But, but if we, I mean, basically, if we are using past data in order to conjure into existence these consciousless digital beings that are designed to really manipulate control and reduce human behavior to, to whatever serves the machine itself, um, that's pretty gnarly um, black magic, no? Well, look, not only is it pretty gnarly black magic, but you've given me an example of how to combat that black magic. You've left social media, right? right. And that's heavy because our economy, our digital economy is monetized towards anger. It's monetized towards sloganeering. It's monetized towards these perverse emotional thrills that we would get from seeing people humiliated. And you made the decision to pull the plug. So I think that's really fucking interesting. I'm always telling people, when you go on social media, I don't want complaints about Musk or Zuck or whatever. Every time you follow and encourage a post that is steeped in anger or humiliation, you're feeding that machine. You're mm. feeding that fucking monster. And it's real and it's there. So what's the individual going to do about it? I don't... 
I mean, to the best of my capacity, I don't engage in trash talk on social media. You've left social media. I think that's pretty fucking exciting. And I've left it to become more social. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's odd. You know, you think, oh, wait a minute, you're gonna you're you're gonna miss all the stuff, and it's like, oh no, whenever I'm on social media is when I'm missing the stuff, yeah. right? Because I'm I'm looking at the 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 nightmare projections of all of these. People in bots. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And especially when it's, I mean, nothing against Musk, but when he's tuning that platform for horror, right? It's like, no, I saw Apocalypse Now, got my horror, the horror. Right. 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 Done. Right. Been there, done that. You know, yeah. now I want to, I want to uh, hug and kiss and fuck and, yeah. and, and that's not horror, right? I, I don't think people should underestimate the power and in, inherent the power inherent in desisting from trash talk and gossip on social media and off social right. media. I take a long, steady pause before I post anything that's sarcastic. I'm going to jag at the moment against rhetorical questions. Think of what an act of violence rhetorical questions are to the exchange. They're not a question. They're a statement that the individual is too embarrassed or cowardly to actually make. So they, are you saying that? And it's like... What are you saying? What are you right. saying? Because it's not a question. If you can take that back, and you can, you really, really, really can. If you can take back the gossip, the humiliation, the sarcasm, the rhetorical questions, doesn't mean you never use sarcasm, but let's leave that to George Carlin. You know, we don't need that as the lingua franca of 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 our of the 21st century. And it does terrible violence. You'd be amazed how much taller you stand when you stop right. doing that stuff. It's, it's extraordinary. Haraz, as uh, the Jews would call it. Right. Any kind of backstabbing, yeah. you know, that behavior, it, it drags you into it. It's, yeah. it's, it's worse for you than the person you're talking about. It really, it's, it's, it's horrible. Yeah. And, and, and it turns everything into a contest. I mean, part of the reason why I, limit certain exchanges on social media is that everything turns into a contest yeah. and it's the lowest. First of all, I would say that the lowest form of engaging a topic is agreement or disagreement, but even, even lower than that, it's, it's not engagement um, is this kind of uh, uh, a constant pent up sense of contest and, and it's, it's worthless. It's worthless. Right. It's also, there's no friction in those spaces. It's like, it's like being on ice. So you move in a certain direction and then they just keep sliding in that direction. I mean, and you can manage it if you have, you know, mental, spiritual, social discipline. It's like, you know, being in a, in a weird, bad trip zone where everybody's bad tripping. And you're like, how do you navigate that? I mean, I could do it, but for me, leaving was more about showing, you're allowed to leave. You have mm-hmm. permission. You don't have to be in there if you don't want to. It's not an it's not a a, a mandatory uh, right. uh, thing. But it's fine if you want to be there. I'm not against it. It's just you don't have to. I mean, just imagine if some slender percentage of the human population said, "I'm not going to trash talk online." Right. What What would those numbers start to look like corporately? It would assume the form of a revolution. Right. Will we do it? Right. We did do it. Right. We did do it. <laughs> right. So, so in some ways, can conjuring work like that? In other words, like the guy who made my baby for me. Um, he said it was already done. There's nothing, I mean, nothing left to do other than fuck your wife. Um, but if you, but, but 
there's nothing, you know, it's happened. It's happened. Your baby has happened. It's yeah. done. Is there a way that we can tonight declare that the healing of this civilization has been initiated? Of course, of course we can. Yeah. And so and those how are the do people. We do Everybody that? else is like, and, no, I like destruction. And how do we do that? How do we do that with magic in a way that's convincing to our little bodies and souls? Well, it, it look, it, it, it has to be absolutely sincere and passionate to begin with. It has to come from the individual. There has to be a commitment. And frankly, I think it has to be something that a person really, really wants and doesn't just pay perfumery or lip service to or what have you but really, really wants it. I mean, the language that your magician friend spoke in who gave you your baby, that's the language David Bohm spoke in. That's the language, um, uh, uh, the best of the transcendentalists and, and, and American uh, uh, um, positive mind mystics have spoken in. This idea of, well, I have a tattooed somewhere in my arm. Live from the end. Live from the end. The idea being that you should, you, it's an act of selection. You're selecting a different storyline from the wave, so to speak. You've altered the probability. It's already there. It has to be there. It has to be there. There are multiple things occurring at once, and then we localize one of them. We'll localize it differently. It could be that we could localize through intention. It could be. Now, that's where all the exercises come in, because how do you make it emotionally persuasive? So here, I'll put this question to you. That man was emotionally persuasive. Why was that? He had a gravitas or something. You know why? Partly because... He was from the other, you know, especially right now. So this Arab man made my Jewish baby, you know. And was it that you felt, okay, this guy is sort of a stranger in a strange land. I don't know him. I don't have baggage with him. There's a, there's, there's something about this man that interrupts my, my routine. I'm and touched by him. he, he gave me access to his God, right? His God. What's that? I mean, what more can you give him? Here's my God at your service, you know? And it was just, that was part of it was like, oh, fuck, this is, what? And, and he's, you know, just the blood taker guy. He's in my house. He, and he's, you know what else it was? It was his certainty. The it certainty. Was his, it's yeah. done. It's right. done, my friend. Right. And they're like, what do you mean? God is great. Right. It's done. And also, he doesn't come to you with all this theatricality. It and I didn't like, have to believe anything. There was nothing mm -hmm. to pay. There was no payment. There was no, oh, now you've got to do these three, you know, Hail Marys or whatever, you know, go right. to the synagogue and give this money and donate. No, it's just. I think that we need to feel emotionally persuaded of something. There's obviously a, a, the body goes on its own track. The mind goes on its own track. The emotions go on their own track. And the, one of the problems that the positive thinking movement has left us with is that its authors very often equated thought and emotion. They're mm. radically different. And getting into that feeling state, getting into that feeling state, it can be very difficult. And I've asked myself, is it necessary? Because when a person is experiencing grief or depression or fear, anxiety, that feeling state is very cemented for a time. So is it necessary? Are there alternatives to getting into the feeling state? That's why I began to identify with the question of the wish, because if the wish is sincere, it's accompanied by a feeling state. You can always wish. Mm. You can always wish. So, again, simplicity is what I'm really looking for. Well, it happened. It happened. 
It's beautiful. It happened. I, I, we did it. Yeah. I declare we did it. And maybe, who knows? I mean, maybe it was retrocausal. Maybe there right. were events, you know, maybe it just, it reselected something from the past. It happened. But the question of getting into the feeling state, emotional persuasion, and if you absolutely can't feel emotional persuasion, and I'm very open to that, are there other things, you know, along the lines of what I was saying? Maybe that's where ceremony helps. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's where prayer helps. Maybe that's where a wish helps. Just a simple wish, you know. Well, cool. But I like the idea of being done. We did it. Now we just follow through. That's right. It's great. <laughs> We're going to give you guys free books. And, you know, Right. Well, let's actually swell. get to that. Um, thank you. Thank you, Pleasure. Mitch. Thanks Pleasure. so much for being on Team thank Human. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for your new book, Modern Occultism. And um, thank you all for being on Team Human. We were the guests tonight of uh, Digital Void. And Josh Chaplin is our host. Thank you, Stephen Brent. And thank you for, for your beautiful music. People can hear you on, as what, Stephen Brent on Spotify and all those kind of things? Or where? Where do they find you? Bandcamp? Where? Stephen, I, I couldn't play your music online. Where do I find it? StephenBrent.com. No space. That name. StephenBrent.com. Go there and be bathed in, in beautiful music. Uh, Team Human is produced by Joshua Chaplin, edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. But we did it. We won. The rest is party. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my man. Thanks, Pleasure. Good. It. All right. I like the turn
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.